So Jesus asks that you help us know how we can trust you more and live out of that scripture in a way that makes us more like you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hello, 945. Good to see you. I want to start by showing you something that most of you probably have at home. It is a can of WD-40. Very handy for fixing all kinds of things. I would not know personally because I can't fix anything. But I've been told that this is awesome. And some of you know that the name is actually its original lab formula name. WD stands for water displacement, and 40 means the 40th formula. That is, they tried 39 other formulas that didn't work until they got to this one, hence the name WD-40. And his name really demonstrates two things. First, an astonishing lack of imagination in their marketing department. <laughs> like, dude, you had one job, right? Like, you need to up your game. But the second thing it demonstrates, it's a testimony to human persistence. You know, they, after 39 failures, they just kept going, just kept going. And, you know, and good thing, too, because... WD-40 sounds way better than WD-39, right? We are doing a sermon series uh, on thriving in exile, whether that is a personal exile experience like uh, health, relationship, financial, job problem, or as corporately as Christians in a post-Christian culture that often dislikes us. And one of the things we really need to thrive in exile is perseverance, the ability to stick to it. In this series, we've seen that God does really good things in exile. He strengthens us. He makes us pioneers. We can become cultural influencers by living a refreshingly different kind of life. And then one person at a time likes what they see, and they begin to live a different kind of life. And gradually, the culture shifts. Bell Press, we can shift this culture. But for all of that to happen, we need perseverance, because it is not going to happen quickly. I'm a runner. And most runners will tell you that at the beginning of the race, you have a lot of excitement and energy. And at the end, you have the finish line to kind of spur you on. But the middle, the middle man, that is the hard part of the race. And the problem with the middle is, it's most of the race. <laughs> right? And most of life is the middle, where we have to persevere. If you're starting a company, or a ministry, or a project at work. The beginning is awesome, end goal inspiring, but that middle section, man, it can just go on and on and on. Corporately, as Christians, if we think about shifting the culture, that, that, that's inspiring, we can think of great outcomes, but it's going to be a long journey if we want to do that. And historically, people who've made a big difference in the world have had to persevere through all kinds of adversity and all kinds of criticism. Parenting, right? Parenting, it starts out awesome. And then you take the baby home for the hospital. And then you don't get any relief for like 50 years. It's a lot. Some of that laughter was coming from a knowing place, a, a deep understanding place. And that's just a long old middle. So when we get discouraged and we feel like we're just quitting and giving up, how do we persevere through the middle? Well, in the story that we read today, the Israelites are in the middle of an exile experience. After being slaves in Egypt, God delivers them from that. And the beginning is super exciting, 10 plagues, divides the Red Sea in two, all very interesting. And he's promised a great conclusion, they're headed to the promised land, but in between they spend 40 years, 40 years in the desert trying to get there. It's a long middle. And God provides them with this bread-like substance called manna to eat. And every morning it appears on the ground, and at first they are excited about the manna, love the manna, psyched about the manna, but then they get tired of the manna and start to complain. Word manna means literally, what is it? 
So it's sort of like when my kids sit down for dinner and grimace and go, what is it? Right? That's where the Israelites are at. They're burned out on the manna. And their leader, Moses, he's also burned out. And it says, Moses heard the people wailing. What a descriptive verb that is, right? I just love that wailing. I hate this manna. And he asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Ministry is awesome, God, except for the people. Get rid of them. (laughs) And then he goes on and he says, if this is how you're going to treat me, go ahead and kill me now. I'd rather be dead than be a pastor. So he's not in a good place. (laughs) They're wailing. He's whining. But what follows gives us some clues on how we persevere through that long middle of whatever it is we got to get through the middle of. And the first is this is very basic, but it's always good to remind us we've got to trust God's faithfulness. What always interests me about the Israelites wailing is they have seen evidence of God's faithfulness. Ten plagues, he divided an ocean in two, and yet still they doubt that he's got a plan, that he's with them. Last week I said that God uses our exile experiences to strengthen us and give us his bigger and better instead. So the first way to persevere is to remind ourselves that if God has been faithful in the past, surely he will be again. Now the problem, of course, is all of that can take time to see what God is up to, to see what God is doing. And we don't like to wait. I mean, our fast food culture has made us fast food Christians, and we want a McGod who acts McNow, right? I don't want to wait. Remember back when the internet was, was brand new? I mean, some of you are too young to remember this, but most of you remember, remember and you had to use a dial-up modem. I mean, remember how long that sucker took? Like, man, you could wash the dishes, read a book, all kinds of stuff. But now, if I'm watching a video and it says buffering for like one second, like, I'm, what's wrong with my computer? How can I be expected to go on under these conditions? And that... Now, 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 attitude affects our relationships. We just bail super easily. It affects our faith. It affects all kinds of things. And it's hard to do, but when we're in the middle, you got to remind yourself that God has a plan. So here's a great perseverance prayer. God, what are you going to do with this? I've got this problem. What are you going to do with this? Another word for hope is curiosity. God, what are you going to do with this? Point two. Second way to persevere is to look forward, not backward. You know, as you go through the Israelites' journey, it's amazing how much better Egypt becomes in their memory and in their imagination. Right? When they first run out of food, uh, they, they say, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. So suddenly Egypt is like canless, right? This awesome restaurant. And then God sends them the manna. But then in the passage we read today, they say, if only we had, d- had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Yeah, right. Also the cucumbers, melons, onions, and garlic, but now we never see anything but this manna. See how Egypt just keeps getting better. It gets more and more romanticized. Now it's this giant farmer's market of produce. Finally, God gets fed up. In one of my favorite verses that I've quoted to you before, God says, oh, I'll give you meat, and you will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and you loathe it. So even God's burned out. And there's just one tiny, small, little, bitty, really hardly significant, little tiny problem with Egypt. What is it? They were slaves. They were slaves. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? See, we will sacrifice our freedom for comfort and security every single time. 
That's how Hitler got elected. Vote for me, I'll give you bread. And it's how the devil works on us. If the devil can't make you bad, he will make you comfortable. There's a story of an immigrant from Russia back during the communist days, and when he got to the U.S., a reporter asked him, how was life in the Soviet Union? He said, I can't complain. So the reporter asked, well, how were the working conditions, living conditions, all of that, and housing? And the immigrant said, well, I can't complain. The reporter got frustrated and said, well, then why did you come to the U.S.? He said, because here I can complain. <laughs> if the Israelites had just taken a breath from their wailing, they would have realized, whoa, we're complaining. We didn't have that freedom in Egypt. See, the problem with romanticizing the past is it makes us dissatisfied with the present and we lose sight of God's future. And I'm terrible at this. I mean, I'm preaching to myself in this sermon. I'm just ask my wife. I'm terrible. Everyone has one useless skill. Mine is complaining. Actually, I worry a lot too, so I have two useless skills. So I'm like ahead of all of you. And maybe sometimes you get discontent. I mean, most of us do. So in fact, this will probably be good for us. Let's just, let's just do a little bit of mass confession. Is there something in the past six months where you've been even just a little bit discontent? Have you been, for instance, unsatisfied even just a little bit with your job in the past six months or with your boss or with your dating life or lack thereof or in your marriage or your finances or with politics or the direction of this country or something with your kids or the economy or your golf game or the size of your house or the fact that someone was sitting in your seat when you got to church this morning and you had to sit somewhere else or you couldn't find a parking spot, or the music was too loud and the sermon too long, or, or, or the road work in your neighborhood, or the weather in Seattle, or the fact that the Mariners aren't in the playoffs. If you have been even just a little bit discontent in the past six months, would you just raise your hand? What a bunch of negative Nancys. God, you guys are just like bumming me out, right? Especially when we feel like we're in exile. It is really easy to romanticize the past and try to get back to something that was supposedly better. I hear in, this, in our culture, I sometimes hear Christians talk as if we only try harder, get this or that law passed, get this or that thing to happen, then we'll supposedly get back to the supposedly better Christian past. There's just two problems with that. One, while some things were better in the past, many were not. And second, the culture has moved and it ain't gonna move back. Man, I mean, I know some Christians, man, if 1955 comes around again, boom, they are ready to go. Right? Bring back I Love Lucy, which just for the record is before my time. That's a historical reference for me. I just want that to be known. The culture can move forward. It can be redeemed. It can be renewed, but it is not going to go back. And in order for Christians to thrive in this new culture, we have to stop looking back and trying to get back and look forward instead to the amazing things that God can do in exile. See, the Israelites couldn't see that in their desert experience, God was forming in them an army, a legal system, a government, a culture, things that they were going to need once they got to the promised land. As I said last week, God can use exile to strengthen us and strengthen his church, teach us to rely on his power rather than our cultural power, make us culture influencers by how we live a refreshingly different life rather than through our cultural and political power. And if we look forward, not back to what God can do, it helps us persevere because the pain in the middle has a reason, has a goal. Athletes can persevere through the pain of training because they have a goal. It's getting them closer to their goal. Trust God's faithfulness. Look back. Look forward, not backward. Third, get mad at the real enemy. 
In the New Testament, the word that's often used for perseverance is hupomene, which means roughly translated literally kind of to hang in there. Prefix hupo means underneath. Hupomene means to kind of bear up under. Not hypomene, that would be to be on top of all your problems. God never asks us to be on top of all our problems, but to bear up under it. But it means a little bit more than that too, because it's not just grim determination, sort of grin and bear it. It also carries the connotation of defiance. It was used in Greek, it was used to talk about a plant's ability to thrive in a very harsh wilderness, like a desert or rocky soil, what the Israelites were in. See, perseverance means we defy the enemy, but we've got to make sure we're defying the real enemy. One of our staff people, Chris Martinson, worship leader here, he gives great advice to married couples who are in crisis. He says, the enemy is not your spouse. As much as you might want to think that, the enemy is not your spouse. The enemy is the enemy. The enemy is the devil who's trying to break your marriage up, convince you that it doesn't have any hope. So instead of being on the opposite side of the table from your spouse arguing, you've got to get on the same side of the table with your spouse and together fight the enemy who's trying to destroy your marriage. Sometimes the enemy are those voices in our head of fear and insecurity. Sometimes it's past memories that kind of, kind of trip us up. Whatever it is, defy the real, get mad at the real enemy. Because you see, anger is energy. Anger is energy. We just have to channel it correctly. And that energy can keep us going when we're in the middle so that we can say, I'm going to fight for this marriage. I'm going to fight for this friendship. I'm going to fight for this project. I'm going to fight for this ministry. And devil, you can make me feel bad. You can make me feel sad. You can make me feel discouraged. But the one thing you cannot make me do is quit. So just go to hell. This conversation is over. I'm not listening to you, devil. Blah, 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 blah. Trust God's faithfulness. Look forward, not backward. Get mad at the real enemy. And finally, pace yourself. Prophet Isaiah, writing to the Jewish exiles in Babylon, hundreds of years later, they were in exile again. He put it this way, Those who open the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Three images there. Soaring, running, walking. And sometimes, man, you feel like you are soaring like an eagle, don't you? Just things are great. Other times, not so much soaring, but you can run and you don't get tired. But sometimes... Sometimes it is all you can do but just to keep on walking and not faint. But in all of those times, God is with you. In all of those times, God sustains you. And just because you feel like you're not soaring right now, it is all you can do but just to put one foot in front of the other, that does not mean that you are failing. It means that you are faithful. And don't let the devil tell you otherwise. Persistence is not a continuous sprint. It's not frantic effort. It is a steady determination in the same direction. And perseverance is also not a frantic fear of failure, though a lot of people confuse it with that. What drives a lot of people is not perseverance, but just a fear of failure. But that leads to a lot of anxious striving and burnout. After Moses is done complaining, God listens to him, wail, and then God says, okay, I hear you. I want you to go get 70 elders, and I'm going to put my spirit on them so that they can help share the leadership load with you. So he goes and he does that. And that shows us that one of the things, that, one of the ways God sustains us is through other people who encourage us. So find those friends who will listen to you vent. And then after you're done, they'll say, okay, I've heard you. But I know that you've got it in you to heal this marriage or finish this project or whatever it is. So go be that man. Go be that woman. And then after God gives the 70 elders his spirit, it says that two men whose names were Eldad and Medad, very conveniently their names rhyme, they did not go out to the tent but the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. 
So then Joshua, who is Moses' second in command, he gets upset about this and he says, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Can't have people connecting with God. Shut it down. Why is Joshua upset? Well, here's, here's the problem. See, these two rhyming guys, see, they didn't go to the official get the, meet, get the spirit meeting. They were at the wrong meeting. Right? They got the spirit without going to the official meeting. So Joshua sees them as a threat. They might steal some credit for helping to lead the Israelites. It's a spirit of control. My timeline, my agenda, my reputation. That's not perseverance. That's fear of failure. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. See, Moses realizes he's got to let God be in control. And his job is just to do one step at a time the things that God puts in front of him to do. God's got the big plan. See, perseverance is not the long pass into the end zone, guys. It is scorned by moving the chains 10 yards at a time. And there is a benefit. In our fast-paced culture, there is a benefit to slow and steady over frantic striving. I mean, after all, the early bird may get the worm, but it's the second mouse that gets the cheese. Think about it. Okay, some of, that, some of you, you're not going to realize that, what that means until in the car on the way home, but it will change your life, okay? Don't try to control every outcome. I'm preaching to myself on this one. Don't try to control every outcome. Let others help you. And then lean into Jesus to, to pace yourself. Moses takes his complaints to God. And often, if I just slow down enough to pray, picture myself handing my problems to Jesus, I get some encouragement. Or often, Jesus supplies us with just what we need at the right time. Write a note or a phone call that's encouraging, that comes from someone out of the blue who just felt nudged to call you, or renewed sense of energy, or whatever it is. A good friend of mine named Brian is married to a woman named Allie, and Growing up, Allie's grandmother would write her a letter almost every week of her life, and they were really super encouraging letters. But as her grandmother got into her 90s, grandmother's mood changed, and the letters got really critical and kind of caustic. When Allie was in college, she was a religion major, and her grandmother would write her all these letters saying that she was just wasting her life and that she should be a nurse like her mother and her grandmother was. And Allie just kept trying to show love, did her best to respect her grandmother. It, but it was a season of exile, and it went on for years not months, years. Well, when she got engaged to my friend Brian, her grandmother thought that she was making this huge mistake, and the grandmother said, I will not go to the wedding because this is a big mistake. Now, what you need to understand is my friend Brian is like the greatest guy in the world. I mean, he, he's a pastor. Not that those two things always go together, but, you know, but he's not a felon, and hopefully those two things don't go together. And Allie was just devastated. Now, sometimes we need to step back from a relationship if it's too destructive, and the only way to figure that out is through prayer and the wise counsel of others. But Allie, Allie felt like she needed to lean in and continue to love and pray for her grandmother. Well, then her grandmother's health took a turn for the worse. So Allie was faced with a decision. Does she kind of ignore all the pain that her grandmother has caused and just keep planning her wedding the way a lot of brides would do? Or would she make the long trip and face a hard relationship and face one of her worst fears, which is rejection from somebody she loves? Well, she and Brian decided to make the long drive to where her grandmother lived. And when they got there, her grandmother and the nurse were just getting back from the beauty parlor because her grandmother didn't want her granddaughter's fiancé to see her without her hair being done. So Allie helped carry her grandmother into the house, and they spent the afternoon drinking Sonic milkshakes and playing a game called Rummy Cube, which the grandmother really liked. In fact, Brian said, I got worked over by a 90-something grandmother who can play that game in her sleep. And then over the next few weeks, her grandmother got better, and, and then Allie got a letter a couple weeks later that said that the grandmother would like to come to the wedding after all. So she went, and 
Everyone agreed that grandma had never looked better, and she celebrated, and she partied, stayed up half the night, and was so excited that her granddaughter had married such a fine young man. No bitterness, no resentment, but it was a long, long journey. But in that alley, trusted that God had a plan, trusted that enough that she was willing to risk being hurt over and over again by her grandmother. And while there was certainly some looking back throughout those years, Allie kept moving forward into the future that God could create. Defied the enemy who was trying to wreck that relationship and just loved her grandmother with sonic milkshakes and rummy cube and just spending time with her. And she paced herself over the years and leaned into Jesus and relied on Brian and others to kind of help her be encouraged. Guys, nothing good happens fast. And in your life, in my life, collectively, as the church in this culture, we can shift this culture, but nothing good happens fast. We have got to learn in our fast-paced culture the discipline, the benefit, the joy of perseverance. It is a long obedience in the same direction. So what are you in the middle of? Maybe it's a, a health relationship deal, marriage problem, or maybe you're just as a Christian discouraged by this culture. God has a plan, and will you trust that he is at work whether you can see him or not? Look forward, not backward. Defy what the enemy's trying to do in your life and pace yourself, relying on Jesus and others to be encouraged and to sustain you. Because see, my Bible says, my Bible says that in Jesus we are more than conquerors and with him we can persevere through anything. We can say, I'm not going to listen to you fear. I'm not going to listen to you discouragement. I'm not going to listen to you worry. My God is the God who provides, so I'm going to listen to him. And I will not give up, give in, give out, or back down. I am a conqueror and co-heir with Christ, and that's the promise that I am going to stand on. And regardless of what I face, I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me can remain. And I will rejoice, and I will declare that God is my victory, and he is here. So devil, you might as well give up now, because no matter how hard you try, I am not going to quit. I will persevere, because my God lives, my God reigns, and me and my God, we're going to win. So Jesus, help us through the power of your spirit to persevere through the things that we need to persevere through. And Lord, help us collectively as your church to live that different life that shifts this culture over time and help us to be patient as we walk with you in that. Lord, we bring you all of the things that we are in the middle of and we declare that you are God, you are Lord, you have a plan, and we will follow you. In your name, Jesus, amen.